chapter 13. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Final chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I, I have, this, this uh, study has helped me so much. And I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I've, uh, I think it's definitely a great book. Hebrews is for us. Not just for the Jews. It is for us. And I think we proved that. And we're actually, we'll actually see more proof of that as we go through this book, uh, this chapter. But it says in verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Alright? Let brotherly love continue. Now, right, we're going to stop right there. This last chapter of the Bible, it's one more thing that makes me think that Paul wrote it. Because Paul often would do that at the end of his letters. The last chapter, you'll often see him just mentioning several random things. Alright? It usually doesn't have kind of one theme. He'll mention several things. And that's kind of what he does... That's kind of what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 13. Now, just kind of a side note, does anybody's Bible, if you look at the very end of the chapter, um, how many of your Bible says written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy? Alright? How many does not have that in their Bible? Alright? So some of you have it, some of you don't. And my Bible has written, written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. Well, that's another thing that makes me think it's the Apostle Paul because we know Timothy was close to Paul, right? But the thing, uh, the thing is, why, why does it say it's written by Timothy? Because if you look back in verse 23, it says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom if, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Well, how could that be Timothy? Unless it's set, it was written at the hand of Timothy. Which would make you think it's even more than it was the Apostle Paul. So I don't know. I, I, I still kind of think it's the Apostle Paul, but it might not be. I don't think it's Timothy. But anyway, so let brotherly love continue. So notice there, that's just a, that's a quick verse. It's a quick instruction. It's pretty simple. But you know what? One of the things that we're going to see here in this chapter that I think he's trying to show us right here is that there are some things that... We had seen before throughout the book of Hebrews that had ceased, correct? That, you know, those sacrifices had ceased. The carnal ordinances had ceased. Many of the feasts had ceased. Those things had stopped. And in Hebrews 10, he, you know, he mentioned not forsaking the assembling as the manner of some is. While some people had forsaken some of the things they were supposed to forsake, there were some people who were forsaking things that they shouldn't forsake. And one of the things that they weren't supposed to forsake was the assembling. God still wanted believers to be assembling. God still wanted them to be a church. Okay? I don't believe in the church age. As the dispensationalists like to put it, there was a church in the wilderness that the Bible very clear, clearly talks about. Now, did some things in the church change? Yes. The church quit doing sacrifices. You know, the, the church quit, you know, uh, keeping the feast and the Sabbaths, and the dietary laws. And many of those things were mentioned here in Hebrews that ceased. They stopped. But one thing that was not supposed to stop in the assembly, in the congregation, in the church, that was brotherly love. You know what? Let brotherly love continue. Keep that going. And we ought to always have brotherly love in churches. We ought to see each other as family. Okay? Because, think about this, in the Old Testament church, it was mainly Jews, right? Now, we know that Gentiles were able to become a part of Israel. Okay, That's been proved. We're not going to take time to do that. And those people would even become, they could even become one of the tribes, depending on where they lived. Whatever tribe they dwelt among, 
that would be the tribe they would be a part of, okay? But at the same time, for the most part, these people were all related, weren't they? So it was pretty easy to love each other, and it was pretty, it was really easy to have brotherly love, right? Well, that was, now we are entering in an age and a time where it's not just, you know, it's not just, um, you know, brother or physical brothers. It's, you know, they got Gentiles that are going to be coming into the church. And you know what? He's saying, let brotherly love continue. That same type of love you had before, that same family type of relationship you had before, keep that going in the church. Don't let that change. And you know, that's how it ought to be with us. Okay? We ought to have brotherly love. Even though none of us in here are physically related in, in a way that we know about, we can have brotherly love. Because we are, we are related in Christ. That's why we can have people come from another country and be amongst us and be like family. You know why? Because we are family. Our, okay, we're in Christ together. We have that in, in common. And so, you know, and, and in a church that's right with God, that has the right mentality, the right mindset, that is an easy thing. When there's strife and when there's discord in a church, something's wrong. We've got a big problem there. And, uh, and that kind of thing went on in the church. You know, you even had divisions that were on there. Some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And he's saying, is Christ divided? You know, we're all one family. We're all in Christ. And you know what? We need to let brotherly love continue. That should not stop. That should keep going. Verse 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Okay? And we're not going to talk a whole lot about the whole entertaining angels thing, but people like to talk about that. You know, you never know. It might be an angel. Uh, and, and really, when you stop and think about that, I do think he's being specific there. For example, I was just reading in my Bible reading today the story of Manoah, Samson's father. They entertained an angel unaware, didn't they? You know, later after they went and offered that sacrifice and he went up into the smoke, you know, they got scared and they, you know, they thought they were going to die because they'd seen the face of God, but, uh, you know, they didn't understand fully what was going on. But they were entertaining an angel unaware. What if they'd have been rude to him? And there's examples in the Bible in the Old Testament, which is what he could be referring to, of people who were being hospitable to angels and they didn't even know it. And so, I guess that could probably happen with us. I don't know. Either way, what he's teaching us here, I don't think is so much be hospitable in case it's an angel. What he's trying to teach is just be hospitable to everybody. We don't know who it is that we are... Uh, you know, who it is we're in the presence of. You know, you think about some little kids out there we might see as insignificant, people we might not pay a whole lot of attention to. Well, what if they're the next great soul winner? What if they're the next great preacher, you know, that shakes this world up or shakes this country up? We need to keep those things in mind. The next time a visitor comes in this church, who knows, that might be one of the next leaders in this church who help, who is a huge blessing and who really helps us. We don't know. And many times we'll look and we'll see somebody and we'll judge them on their appearance and we'll see them and say, you know, I don't think they don't appear like they would have much value to the church. And James talks about that too. You know, we'll go and we'll give honor to the person in the gay clothing, you know, meaning bright or happy, not, you know, the skinny jeans and stuff like that. But it's, you know, we'll, we'll go and we'll give them honor, but then that person who's in the rags, we won't pay any attention to them. We'll make them our footstool. That should not be how we are as a congregation. We ought to see everybody, no matter how bad they stink when they come walking into this place, no matter how bad they look, we ought to see them as a potential soul that we could win to Christ. 
and we should see them as a potential future soul winner. If God saves them, who knows what they could turn into. So we, we ought to think about that. We ought to see them not only as a soul, but as a soul who's connected to many other people, who has family, who has friends, who will make it where we're able to reach. You know, Now, if we get them saved, we're more likely to reach his friends and family. We need to think about those things, and we need to be hospitable. And that, that should be our attitude as Christians. So he just briefly mentions that. And then in verse 3, he says... Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. You know, we need to make sure that we suffer. We should suffer with those who are suffering. Okay. Now, thankfully, we don't know a lot. We don't, you know, probably none of us in here today know of anybody that's sitting in prison for the cause of Christ. But you know what? That day may be coming where we do know people who are in prison for the cause of Christ and when that happens, we should not forget about those people. You know, we ought to we ought to remember them. We ought to be praying for them. We ought to be sending them letters. If there's anything we can do to help get them out, we ought to be doing those things. And too many times, I've seen this with Christians who we do. It's like we just kind of forget about people. You know, for years, when Kent Hovind went to prison, for years, I listen to people say, you know, he was in prison for being a tax cheat and a tax protester and all these things. And it turned out to not be true. I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking into it. I just heard all these people saying all these reasons that, you know, he was in prison that, that turned out to be false. And I wonder if maybe Christians would have been a little more supportive of him while he was in prison if he wouldn't have come out cuckoo. You know, because unfortunately he is, he's, he's a little cuckoo now. But you know what? If I sat in prison for 10 years or however long it was and was just everybody forgot about me, I don't know. I don't know if I'd come out the same person that I went in. And, you know, I kind of wish, you know, I would have paid a little more attention. I wish I would have, I wish I would have remembered. And maybe, maybe, you know, the same guy that came out of prison, it wouldn't have been that same guy. It would have been the same guy that went into prison. But I listen to preachers lie about him. You know, before he got out of prison and before he, you know, was finally able to just really kind of get his story out there, I heard preachers from the pulpit say all kinds of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I listened to Sam Gipp talking about how he had talked to Kent Hovind before he went to prison and was warning him about what he was doing. Well, we know that wasn't true because he wasn't doing those things. You know, so why would Kent Hovind have been telling Sam Gipp about what he was doing? But, you know... I guess Sam Gipp thought he was safe telling the lie since he was locked away in prison, you know. But it's, I'm, but you know, if I if I would have found out he was saying that stuff about me, and here I am in prison, it would it would have bothered me. And you know what? We need to make sure that doesn't happen. When there's people that are doing right, if they get in trouble, instead of us trying to distance ourselves from them because we're a bunch of cowards and we don't want to get in trouble for the same thing, you know, we ought to support those people. We ought to remember them. And we, you know, think, well, I don't know how to apply this in my life today. Well, think about it. Keep these things in mind because the day is coming where we're, there's going to be plenty of places to apply this. And you know what? There's, place, there's other parts of the world where people are suffering. You know, if we find out about those things, if you know about some of that stuff, you know, write those people, you know, maybe write them a letter. Let them know there's people praying for them. If, there, if there's a way that you can correspond with them, if, there, if there's a way you can communicate with them, we need to remember that we've got brothers and sisters in Christ 
that are in prison in other parts of the world. Sometimes There might not be anything we can do about it, but if there is something we can do about it, we ought to do something about it. And when we see people that are being wronged, let's not distance ourselves for, from them because we're a bunch of cowards. Let's stick up for them. And we will need this. This is something that we will need in the near future. I, I'm sure of it. And you know what? I want to practice it. I want to start practicing it now just in case I'm one of the first ones that gets thrown in the slammer. And so, because, uh, you know, who knows? It might happen. I'm not going to try to avoid it. You know, I, I'm going to keep on preaching the truth. I'm not going to go asking for it, you know. As far as I know, I, don't, I haven't done anything that calls for prison. But, you know, who knows? Who knows what laws might get changed? And uh, so let's be ready for that. Look, But we ought to suffer with them. It ought to be our pain, too. Let's not forget it. Okay, it doesn't mean we need to go jump in the prison with them, but it, it, ought to, it ought to bother us. We need to remember them, and we need to do whatever we can do. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So once again, while things were changing, and while a lot of these old carnal ordinances and things went away, the dietary stuff went away, a lot of the ceremonial stuff went away, Things like fornication and adultery were still wrong. They were still wicked. We're not, uh, we're not going to take time to look at all the scriptures, but if you go in the book of Acts, one of the things that they always made sure they were, uh, made sure the Gentiles understood is, well, hey, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. You know what? You need to stay away from fornication. That was one of the things they always avo- uh, told them to avoid. Fornication, you know, pollutions of idols, eating things strangled, eating with the blood. But they always threw that in there. And you know what's crazy about that? I mean, even there in that early church, when they're reaching these Gentiles, and they're, they're always pushing that, and they're pushing that. And even when Jews came along and are teaching that you have to keep the law in order to be saved, they were making sure while preaching, no, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. They're making sure they constantly remind people within the church that you shouldn't commit fornication. And if you do commit fornication, doesn't mean you're not saved, but you know what? You will be thrown out of the church if that kind of thing is going on. Because that is a very wicked sin. That is a sin against your own body. And you know what? Churches today are scared to even preach against fornication. I mean, very little of that is preached. It is not uncommon for people to be shacking up and, I mean, just regular attendees at a church, maybe even members of a church, and nobody seems to care. That's wrong. And that's too bad. And he's telling them here, hey, you know, he's, he's reminding them, this has not changed. Adultery is still adultery. Fornication is still fornication. And, you know, dispensationalism, Hebrews, they absolutely butcher this book. But in the dispensational world, adultery is okay. Uh, you know, and they'll say, well, now, not cheating on your wife, but yet divorce and remarriage is completely acceptable. It was completely acceptable with their hero, C.I. Schofield. And it's been that way with his followers. It is very, very common amongst the dispensational Rukmanite world to have pastors who are adulterers. Very common. And accepted. It blows my mind. But you know what? That's one of the things that's not supposed to change. And it's the dispensationalists. They'll try to use that. They'll try to say, you know, Hebrews is for the Jews and all that. It, it, a lot, and they do a lot of that stuff because of the fact we've got to have an excuse to let our adulterers stay behind the pulpit. But you know what? It's very clear when you study the book of Hebrews in context 
while things were changing, one thing that didn't change, fornication and adultery are still bad. And they have no place in the house of God. And adulterers can be forgiven. Fornicators can be forgiven. If you've committed adultery, if you've committed fornication in the past, God can forgive you of that. We as a church can forgive you of that. You can become a member of good standing. But you can't be a pastor. And that's very clear in the Bible. But people are try, they try to use dispensationalism to prove that it's no big deal anymore. But right here in Hebrews, it proves that, hey, we're in the New Testament, but it still matters. And the truth is, I mean, the New Testament is more strict when it comes to adultery and fornication than the Old Testament. So even if dispensationalists are right in how they interpret the Bible, you know, they should be more hardcore against adultery and fornication, but they don't seem to care. And, and so, uh, you know, Kent Hovind, he shouldn't have went post-trip. Because if he had gone, if he'd have stayed pre-trib, he would have had a place in the dispensational Ruckmanite world. Uh, you know, even though he's uh, already been you know, married and kind of married, I guess, <laughs> and and divorced, I guess. I don't know who really knows, since he just kind of uh, did his pretend wedding. But anyway, you know, this time, you know, in adultery and fornication, it was very prevalent in the Gentile world, and God didn't want it being a part of the church. And it's like we got Christians today, like, what are we supposed to do? You know, what's supposed to, what, you know, how are we supposed to handle this? Because it's just part of our culture now to be living in fornication and things like that. How are we going to handle it? What are we going to do? We're going to do what the Bible says. We're not going to allow it in the church. We're, we're going to preach against it. We're going to teach these people that it's wrong. It breaks my heart how many people, you know, they're, they're, you know there's decent people who are living in fornication. So, well, they're not decent because well, they just don't know any better. Nobody's ever taught them. The world says that it's fine for unmarried people to live together and have a physical relationship and have kids and everything. The world sees nothing wrong with it. And many people who are living that way go to church on a regular basis. And they don't know. Nobody's ever told them there's anything wrong with it. And a lot of these people, if you will, with a heart of love... Show them what the Bible teaches and call them out on it. They'll get it right. But, you know, when you're past your skinny jeans, you're not going to be man enough to tell somebody they're wrong or anything. When you dress like that, you're definitely not going to be man enough to tell somebody the truth. And it's just, it's just the way it is. So these things, that hasn't changed. Marriage, or uh, fornication, adultery, it's still wrong. Verse 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So covetousness that's in the world today, it's, a lot of it is motivated by fear of the future. Okay? People, they're desperate to accumulate wealth for themselves They'll do whatever they have to do to get it. And they do that because of their fear of the future. A lot of it's just greediness for today. You know, they want to have all the expensive things. But a lot of it, okay, when you've got millions and billions of dollars, okay, why do you need another billion? All right? You know, when you've got, when you're a billionaire, why would you need to be crooked at all? Okay? But they are. You know why? They're covetous. 
It's all about wanting more, wanting power. It's all about, you know, just worrying about the future. And as Christians, we should have confidence that God's going to take care of us. You know what? I don't need to be dishonest on how I get my money. I don't need to be dishonest and how I deal with things. You know, one of the things that just makes me sick, and I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's in all religions, I'm only familiar with Baptists. I've only ever been around Baptists in, in the Baptist world. But I tell you what, it is sad how much crooked dealings go on in Baptist churches. It's sad how many pastors are swindlers. That, I mean, just some of the crooked financial stuff that goes on in Baptist churches is absolutely revolting and sad. And I can't tell you how many churches I know of that it's weird. It's like all of a sudden, they change the name of the church. Okay? And when a church just all of a sudden decides to change its name, there's two reasons for that. There is usually some kind of scandal, morally, that hurt the church's name. And so it's like they have to try to restart. And I know of some of these. I know of some churches that they did. They just kind of basically went and like changed the name because the one name just got destroyed because of something the pastor did morally. The other reason a church often will just completely change its name is because of financial reasons. Okay, it would be like Liberty Baptist Church. If we owe all this money, we've got all, we're way behind on all our bills. Well, you know, we could dissolve. And I know of churches that have done this. I don't know all the details and how it works, but basically. What they do, the church ends up dissolving and pretty much stiffs everybody that they owed money to. And then that same group of people will go somewhere else in town and they'll start a church under a new name. And then all that debt went bye-bye. That, my friends, is wicked. That is crooked. That is wrong. Well, the only people we ripped off with J.P. Morgan Chase and they're a bunch of crooks too. Well, you know what? Yeah, they might be crooks too, but, you know, it's not okay for Christians to be crooked to crooks. You know, we should at least be honest, okay? Yeah, there's bad people out there, but we ought to be honest. We ought to be just in our dealings. But you know what? Many times it's because they're covetous. And I know of churches too that, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, these are small churches and they just end up in these fantastic buildings and build these new buildings and the, the debt that they rack up. You know, some of the manipulation tactics that pastors have used on their people to get them given money. And I know some stories. That I, I, could, I could spend a lot of time just telling stories about crooked things that pastors, done, pastors have done to get money out of their people. I, mean, I know pastors that have gotten, their, they've gotten retired people to basically cash in all their retirement, give it to the church, so the church could pay that person their salary with that. And there's ways, you know, it's like there's tax things that they can do to avoid taxes. And it's all crooked. Just crooked stuff. Dealings that they do. You know, we're not going to do any of that stuff. We are very open and honest. We try to do everything as openly and honest as we possibly can when it comes to our finances here at the church. Because you know what? Last thing we need is a financial scandal. Last thing I need is for everyone to be scared to give their money here, wondering what's going to happen. You know, we need your, we need the tithes and offerings. So you know what? I want to make sure we're very open, honest, and above board on how we do things, so people won't be worried and will feel like I can give and it's going to go to a good cause and it's going to be used right. But you know what? People they get greedy, 
Pastors, they, you know, they want to have that bigger, that better building. They want to have those fancier things. They want to, they want to have that big conference. I know, I know churches that have gotten in trouble financially because of a conference that they had. A, a preacher's conference. Where they went, and it didn't benefit the church at all. Okay, Most preacher's conferences that they have in churches, it doesn't benefit the congregation. It benefits the pastor. It's a way that he can kind of move up the ranks and stuff. And so they'll have these big conferences, they'll fly in all these speakers, and they'll give them all big fat love offerings, spend thousands of dollars, and nobody in the church has helped. It's not even meant for their church, it's meant for other preachers. It's meant to elevate themselves. That kind of thing is wrong. You know what? That shouldn't be our conversation or our testimony that we're covetous. We need, and we need to understand, you know what? God's going to take care of our needs. If we need to do some of these things, the Lord will provide. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord will get it done. I'm not against having conferences. I'm not against spending money on things like that. But you know what? I'm against doing it in a crooked way. I'm against, I'm against manipulating all of you so I can just try to do some of these things to elevate myself. I don't want to do it if it's not going to help our church. Right? If, it, if I think it will help our church, we'll do something like that. But if it's just to help myself, forget about it. We're not, we're not going to do that. And so look at what it says in verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. We, you need to remember those that God has placed in your life to be an example and make sure you learn from them. God's put them there for a reason. Okay, God's given you a pastor for a reason. Okay? You're, you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to be able to follow my faith. You ought, people ought to be in a church where there's a pastor that they can follow. Okay? There's a lot of churches where, and there's a lot of pastors that you don't want to follow his marriage. You know, because it's not very good. Okay? And in many cases, his marriage failed. You know, you don't want to follow that. Your Bible teaches that a pastor or a bishop is supposed to have his children in subjection with all gravity. You don't want to have, you don't want to follow, or you're supposed to have a pastor you can follow. Well, if you've got a pastor whose kids are just rebellious and rotten and turn out like scum, you, you're not supposed to follow that guy. Okay, you need to have one that you can follow. And the Bible says, remember them. Okay, God put them there for a reason. If you're just going and your your kids are turning out like garbage, you're not doing anything that you're supposed to do, you know, and you've got a pastor that is doing it, that is doing things right, that it's working, you know what? Make sure you're paying attention to what's going on. Make sure you're paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm do part of why I do these things, I'm trying to be an example. I'm trying to uh, live a pattern that other people can follow. And, you know, there's some things that I think I could, you know, I, I think I might be strong enough, I could have these things in my life, and it wouldn't hurt me. But it's like, you know what, but it wouldn't be a good example. And so, you know what, I'll do without those things, because, you know what, this might trip up some people. Some people might not be able to handle this. And, you know, it, it's important that we remember those that are over us, and that we, that we follow them Bible's very clear. And there's other passages. We're not going to take time. There's all these things that are being mentioned here. Many of these things that are mentioned, if not all of them, you can find other epistles where Paul said that. You know, where, where Paul said those things. And he's, you know, he would tell these things everywhere he goes. But look what it says in verse 8. And this is another verse that just destroys dispensationalism. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? 
Hebrews proves that. What have we been seeing throughout the book of Hebrews is just showing the examples of how things haven't really changed. In an earthly sense, there's been some things that have changed, okay? We don't sacrifice animals anymore. But it's very clear that the, the sacrificing of those animals, all of those ordinances, all of those ceremonies, all those feasts that they did in the Old Testament were a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do when He was on earth. And so it makes it very clear when we see the fulfillment of all these things that Jesus did, all those Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, it just proves that God's always had one plan. It proves that there's always been one plan, one way, and people too, you know, this dispensational teaching of the Gentiles being plan B. It's just, it's stupid beyond words. Look what it says, Psalms 117, we were talking about this before church, shortest chapter in the Bible, shortest chapter in the Bible all by itself, it refutes this plan B garbage. Okay, we, we are not God's divine plan B. It says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people, for His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. When it says, Praise the Lord, all ye nations, that gets quoted in the New Testament. I didn't write it down. We were just talking about it before church. But it said, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. And it's quoting Psalms 117. Gentiles, nations, heathen, sometimes they all mean the same thing. Just basically all those on the outside. And in Psalms 117, it's telling all the world to praise the Lord. And you know what else it says? His merciful kindness is great towards us. His truth endureth forever to all generations. It's always been God's plan to save the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the Jews that He gave His only begotten Son. Or wait, no, it's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know, the angels, when Jesus came, said, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all Jews. For, or no, it says to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And to just think that in mainstream Baptist churches, guys are getting up there and teaching that Jesus came to this earth for the Jews, and the Jews rejected, and so God went to the Gentiles. Like, why would anybody even teach that? Why would anybody say that with all the clear scriptures we have in the Old and New Testament? You know why they say that? Because they have to have some way to say it's going to be all about the Jews in the future. It's, it's, they got to have some way to get us out of the tribulation. And that's why, my friends, you just, when you tell a lie and you get busted, just admit it. Because when you tell a lie and you get busted, you got two choices. You can either admit it and only have the one lie you're accountable for, or you can try to cover by telling another lie and another lie and another lie. And that's what dispensationalism is. It is a whole multitude of lies to cover for just that one lie they started out with. We got to get out of here before the tribulation. You know, or, and I don't know which one they love more. Us getting out of here before the tribulation or the Jews being God's chosen people. You know, you know whatever, either way, it's so clear that, that that teaching, it just falls apart all over the Bible. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today, and forever. And guess what today is? Even according to the dispensationalists, today, you know, salvation is faith without works. But yet they teach yesterday it was faith plus 
works. And they teach forever or in the future, it's faith plus works. But no, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. And all those who are saved, Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation, are saved through Jesus Christ. And he is not going to change his plan. It's always been about faith. It's always been about believing in him. He did the work. No one who's going to heaven is going there because of work that they did. And none ever will. You know why? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right there, that verse right there, it refutes all that garbage. It refutes every bit of that junk in the book of Hebrews. So, don't get caught up in that. Dispensations can go jump in a lake. That's all, that's all there is to it. Look what it says in verse 9. And it's interesting, too, that right after this verse that just demolishes dispensationalism, verse 9 says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. You know, don't be carried with strange doctrines. What is it the dispensationalists are known for, too? Strange doctrines. They got their, you know, angel-human hybrid junk that they teach. You know, they got their, you know, their weird UFO alien stuff they're teaching that is coming in the future. I know, there's one preacher I know. I like this guy. I've always had a lot of respect for him. You know, he's on the wrong end of things when it comes to end times. But this guy, too, who I, I, I've emailed him before, he's against dispensational salvation. You know, he's against Ruckmanites. He thinks they've done a lot of harm to the cause of Christ. I listened to this guy the other day. He's preaching on end time stuff. And he was teaching that the alien human hybrids are coming in the future. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I thought you were sane. You know, you at least have salvation, right? And how, how could you have salvation, right, and be dumb enough to fall for that? You've got to be kidding me. But you know, the problem is these prophecy preachers, they barely got any Bible that they can use accurately. And they don't have a lot of material. And they go to the same places every year. They've got to have something new. And most prophecy guys, there are two big books of the Bible they use, Revelation and Genesis. And you know what? Everybody loves to hear about the... Angel-human hybrids in Genesis. Everybody loves the Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia type world that they talk about. And I'm sorry. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it would make a great movie. But it's a strange doctrine. And we shouldn't get caught up in that stuff. Yeah, but what if it's real? You know, what if? Do you think it's possible Okay, fine. I'll give you that maybe it's possible, but it's still not clear in the Bible, and it's still weird, and a strange doctrine. And so, you know, I'm not going to get caught up in it. And I, I like weird stuff as much as anybody. Okay? My favorite show when I was younger was Unsolved Mysteries and things like that. I liked all that stuff, all right? But I mean, I've always liked alien movies. You know, I watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers when I was a kid and stuff like that. But, uh, I, you know, I, I like The Twilight Zone. But, I'm sorry. These people, unfortunately, their doctrine is so messed up, their preaching is so lame, their churches are so dead, that the only way they can get anybody interested in their preaching is they've got to tell their weirdo X-Files type, you know, Twilight Zone stories. And you know what? When that's what you have to preach about, that just shows how bad you are. It shows how much the Holy Spirit is gone from your church. And you know what? You might as well hang it up and... Hang yourself. I mean, if that's what type of stuff that you're going to preach, just get out. Get out of the ministry. Give it up. 
Say you're a fraud and failure. Take all that money they paid you, go throw it in the temple, and run. Uh, don't hang yourself. Get right. Get right with God. All right. Repent. But um, but man, it is. It's a joke. Definitely, people like that ought to get out of the ministry. They have no business being in there. So don't get caught up in that stuff. Uh, look, verse ten says, "We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin." are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat in this one here. First of all, they had that sacrifice where they would take that goat. And they would, that sin offering, they would take outside the gate. When Jesus died on the cross, they took him outside the gate. The Bible mentions that in the Gospels. It specifically mentions he was taken outside the gate. Now, if you go to the, uh, if you go to Israel today, and you go ask the Catholics where Jesus died on the cross and where he was buried, they've got a church that they built on the spot where they believe Jesus died. Well, guess where it's at? It's within the gate. It's inside the gate. That's not the place. Okay? They've got another spot outside the place that actually makes perfect sense where it's at. That, you know, that was the place we visited. That was the place where I showed my nerdy picture that everybody's been laughing at. But that, that was outside the gate, like the Bible says. Okay? But, uh, but understand, him going outside the gate like that, not only was that a... You know, do we see a picture of that in that offering back then? But right here, he's taken he's taken that and making another application with it because Jesus knows he suffered on his own outside the camp. Okay, he they all by himself. They went, they took him, they sent him out there, and he went by himself. He suffered, and the writer of Hebrews he's telling them to do the same thing. You know what he's telling them to do? He's telling you know what. Leave them behind. You know what? Let's follow Christ outside the gate. You know what? Let's not be like these Jews that are kissing a wall today because they want to get there because they, they love that wall because it gets them so close to inside the gate. Do they not understand that what they need, that their Messiah came and he paid for their sins outside the gate? They need to be focusing on Jesus Christ, but what do they want? They want to get back to that land. They want to get to that spot where the temple was, and they can't. They physically can't do it today because the Muslims had that. So what do these people do? They go and they pray to a wall. They kiss a wall. And Zionist Baptists go to and visit Israel. And they kiss a wall. And they pray to a wall. And they stuff their prayers in a wall. Baptists do that. Donald Trump goes over and prays the wall. And Greg Locke starts crying because he's seeing prophecy fulfilled before his eyes. Because Donald Trump's praying to a wall that, that is inside the gate. But you know what the writer of Hebrews is telling? You know what? Let's follow Christ outside the gate. We don't need that physical temple anymore. Jesus Christ, He went and He did those sacrifices. And He didn't do it inside there. He did it outside there. He went out there bearing that cross, bearing our reproach. And you know what? Let's bear that reproach with them. 
While he was outside that gate, while he was suffering on the cross, he got mocked, he got ridiculed. And you know what? Even though these people are Hebrews, you're going to get mocked, you're going to get ridiculed by your brethren in the flesh. But you know what? Go ahead and bear the reproach of Christ. Go ahead and follow Jesus Christ. Leave that stuff behind. Forget about the temple. And let me tell you something. When the temple starts going up, we will watch the Christian community, Baptists included, absolutely go bananas. And they will do everything short of, and maybe even including, worshiping that building. They're going to go nuts, not understanding that, you know what, there is no significance to that spot anymore. Okay, what we should be focused on, walked outside of that gate on a hill called Calvary, and he paid for our sins. And you know what? I could care less about that spot until the day that the one who I have followed outside the gate decides to show back up there and rule and reign. And until then, I have no use for that land. I have no use for that spot. I don't care. It does not matter. It's not holy. I would visit it if I could for the historical purpose. You know, it would be cool for the historical significance of it. But I'm not going to go kissing the ground. I'm not going to go praying to it. I don't care about it until the one that I am serving is there himself. And then I will care about it. Not so much because of the land, but because of who is there. Jesus Christ. And so you see what he's trying to tell them right there? You know, he's telling you, know, we have, it says, for we have no continuing city. But we seek one to come. Now, you know what? I, I, just, I was just watching the video. If I may confess a sin, alright? But when I went to Israel, I was, I was watching the video when I went to Israel. When we went driving into Jerusalem, we're riding on the bus. And they started playing the song, The Holy City. You know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And man, let me tell you something. When we did it, you know, I got... I, I had I had a Holy Spirit experience, you know. That's what you know they would call it. Got caught, you know. It, it got exciting, you know. Singing about Jerusalem, and then boom, there it was. Saw the city. Oh man, there's there's Jerusalem, you know. Just all right, blew my mind. I was when I was caught up in all that, you know, stuff. Getting my getting my uh, pro-Israel brainwashing when I was over there. But anyway, um, yeah. But the truth is, we don't have a city on this earth. And we do. We've got people, it's like they feel like they've got to make this pilgrimage there, you know, for spiritual purposes. I'm all for doing it for the historical purposes. You know, I would go there again if I had the opportunity. But at the same time, I don't need to go there. That's not my city. I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking to take it over. You know, who do you think should have it? The Jews or the Muslims? I really don't care. Jesus is going to come back one of these days and he's going to take it away from all of them. And so I, re I really don't care. I don't have an earthly city. And you know what? Notice who he's talking to here. Okay? The dispensation. Well, yeah, you don't. But they do. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to Hebrews. He's talking to Jews. And what did he tell them in chapter 11? They were looking for a better country. They were looking for a heavenly country. That was what was promised to them. Everybody's all caught up in this physical land and they want to get all involved politically. They're willing to fight wars and shed blood. And Baptists have even contributed to you know, help them buy weapons and things for the Israeli army. Imagine spending missions money 
that's meant for trying to get people saved to help Jews kill Muslims. What a sad thing that is. And that has gone on in Baptist churches. I have seen it. I have gotten emails trying to get me to give money to help kill Muslims. But it's fine because it's in Israel. They didn't get any. They didn't get any and they're not, and they're not going to get any from me for that. The truth is, there is we, we have no... We're, I'm waiting for the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what I'm waiting for. That's what's going to come. And in the, we don't need the United States to help get our land, you know, that land. And the real Jews don't need help on that. It's, 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 it's so ridiculous. It's such a bunch of garbage. But we don't, we don't have a city on earth, but we have one coming. And it's the same city that Old Testament Israel has coming. It's the bride of Christ. It's the Lamb's wife. The holy city, New Jerusalem. And that is for all believers. That's not just for the New Testament church. That's for the Old Testament saints as well. So look what it says in verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We should, while we don't sacrifice animals, while we don't even bring the fruit of the ground or anything like that, we should still give the sacrifice of praise. I preached some sermons on that about New Testament sacrifices a while back. And we ought to, we ought to praise God. Say, so how is that a sacrifice? Well, you understand, I mean, it's not a big sacrifice, but you understand when you're praising God, you're kind of putting yourself out there. You know, you're, when you're giving glory to God like that, especially to the world, you can be sacrificing your reputation, you know, things like that. But I mean, uh, we, we, those things we ought to continue doing. It says to be, um, lost my spot, uh, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. When it talks about communicating in the Bible, it's not talking about talking to each other, but it's talking about contributing financially. Okay? It, that, it, when it's talking about giving, we should still continue to give. Okay? The dispensationalists like a lot of them, especially the internet dispensationalists. The internet preachers, pretty much what they all have in common is they're all against tithing. And I'm not going to go on all tithing and how it still applies, but at the same time, that's another subject for another day. But you know what? We're not supposed to forget about giving. That thing, we are not to forget about that. That is not supposed to stop. That is supposed to continue. And we see that that's another example of something we see continuing right there. God is well pleased with those sacrifices. And so look at verse 17. Obey them to have the rule over you and submit yourselves so they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Now I've heard this verse misused before too. That basically the way a lot of preachers preach this is you know I'm going to give an account for you one of these days. And for what you do. And you know what? If you're not doing right, you know, I'm going to be giving account for that. And I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be unprofitable for you that day if I'm like, you know, Brother Lonnie didn't do what he was supposed to do. But no, what that's talking about, he's saying, obey them to have rule over you, submit yourselves, they watch for your souls, as they must give an account. I'm not going to give an account for your actions, but I will give an account for what I teach you. And so understand that if I don't teach you the truth, I'm in trouble. I'm going to give an account for what I taught. And if I don't teach you the truth, that's unprofitable for you. Okay? You're the one missing out. 
You're the one I'm hurting if I'm not preaching the truth to you. So I'm not going to give an account of your actions and what you do, but I'm going to give an account of what I taught you. So you all need to keep that in mind. And instead of getting mad at Pastor Tommy when he preaches something that's uncomfortable and that steps on your toes, just say, understand, you know, he's in a tough spot. You know, yeah, he's a normal human, would like to be liked by everybody, but he's going to give an account one of these days for what he preached. And if he holds back, he's going to be in trouble. And so understand that when I am unloading the goods on you like I'm supposed to, that's actually for your profit. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable for you. And so I'm not going to do that either. I'm not going to not preach on standards and convictions and things because it makes people feel uncomfortable. makes me less popular. I have to give an account for what I preach one of these days. And if I am, if I am, if I'm holding back, if I'm shortchanging you, I'm, I'm robbing you too. And I'll give an account for that. And so... When I preach the things that you don't like, you know what? I don't like a lot of those things either, but i got to preach them anyway. So, you know, we'll, we'll both go complain about God together later. No, we won't do that. But you know, don't get mad at me. I, I'm, just, I'm preaching the book. But anyway, verse 18. So you're going to lose people if you do that. Okay, I can get you mad at me. I can get God mad at me. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get mad at me. Verse 18. Pray for us. For we trust that we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly, but I beseech you rather to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Okay, he had a good conscience that he had taught them the whole truth. And notice here he's asking for their prayers too. And you know what? That's one of my goals. I, I want to be able to have a good conscience. I want to know that, hey, I've taught these people the, the truth. I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling them what God wants me to tell them. When I preach a message on a subject, or I preach through a book, I don't want to walk away feeling like a hypocrite, feeling like a coward for not telling you what I'm supposed to do. And if I am, if I'm doing like I'm supposed to do, you know what? I won't be ashamed to ask you like the writer of Hebrews did and say, hey, pray for me. You know, remember me in prayer. You know, keep, keep me in your prayers. And that's what, that's, what, uh, that's what he's talking about right there. So let me look at verse 20. We'll read the rest of the chapter here. It says, now the, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So right here, he's basically, he's encouraging him to listen to the words of the letter he wrote. Hey, follow this. I wrote you a letter in few words. Okay? Uh, it looks like a lot of words to me. Uh, I've never wrote a letter that long to anybody. But yeah, he said, I wrote this letter in few words. You know, and I think part of that is just because of the fact, too, that when you stop and think about it, he crammed a ton of content in these 13 chapters. You know, if he would have really went nuts expounding on things, you know, he mentioned, you know, time would fail for me to tell of all these examples that we have. You mentioned that in Hebrews chapter 11. So you can tell just by some of the things he said in chapters 1 through 13 that he was trying to keep it brief. But here he is trying to make a scriptural case using the Old Testament 
that you're not doing anything wrong by leaving behind those old traditions and following after Christ. And he gave them example after example, Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage, proof after proof. And at the end, he's like, you know, I wrote this in a few words. I only scratched the surface. I only gave you a little bit of it. You all need to follow what was taught in here. You need to do what I'm telling you to do. You need to follow after Christ. Go ahead and leave those things behind. You can trust Him. And that's what He's saying. And some Bible, and so, you know, some of the Bibles too, they, they say, it's, mine says it was written by Timothy, but he's talking about to me. He's like, you know, if He comes, I'm going to come. And, and that just sounds like something Paul would say because Paul and Timothy were close. So, if it was written by Timothy, I, I would say that meant it was written at the hand of Timothy. And so, it, you know, in my unexpert opinion, I still just kind of, I kind of feel like this is Paul writing. But the book of Hebrews is basically encouraging the Jews to move forward, to leave a lot of those things behind. But they were, you know, they're constantly being reminded that in reality, nothing's changed. Did y'all understand this? And this is something we need to get, dude. This is something I wish I could get across the dispensationalists. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. Well, it's easy to look and say, no, it was different because they sacrificed animals. But it wasn't different because of the fact that it's very clear that that was just a temporary thing. Okay, Just because something got finished, it doesn't necessarily mean there was a change. You know, see what I'm saying? There was a very clear plan for the beginning that this was to be done, and then this was going to be done, and then this was going to be done. It was always one plan. And so just because we get to the next phase of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that God has changed or Jesus changed. One of these days, things are going to change when Jesus comes back to this earth, but at the same time, it's not really a change. It's just the next phase of God's plan, isn't it? So it's not a change. Okay? We're not, whenever things start happening in the millennium, do you realize there will be nothing that we do in the millennium that will contradict anything that we have in this Bible right here. It will all line up with it perfectly. Therefore, it's not really a change. It's just we're going on to the next phase. It's just we're crossing the Jordan River. It's just that we're entering into His rest. That's all that, that's all that it is, and that, that's all that it means. And if you want to call something a dispensation, you know, that is what, that's what a dispensation is. Okay, it's just, you know, we're at the next phase. We've learned the next thing. We've learned the next part of God's plan that he's had from the beginning of time. God hasn't changed a thing. And he definitely hasn't changed. And that's what people have got, that's what people have got to understand. And the proof, and you say, well, you know, dispensationalists, no, but they are saying that. You know, when they're saying that because the Jews rejected, God went to the Gentiles, when they're saying that we are part of God's divine plan B, okay, direct quote, that is why that is some serious heresy right there. That's making it out like you know God's just you know all over the place. When you're telling a story about Jesus, you know, ten seconds before he leaves heaven to come to earth at his birth, okay, he left heaven nine months before his birth, okay. But, you know, that's another subject. But when you're teaching that, and, you know, the angel, you know, angels, you know, what are you going to do if the Jews reject you? I'll think of something. I'm sorry. That, that's just, that's stupidity. Okay? 
I, I don't know that you can just call that heresy. It's just stupidity. But yet it's amazing how many young preachers are out there that are listening to that junk. And they listen to him and they're trusting him. Guys, I know. They are repeating that junk because of the fact that they think it's okay because he he preaches at the big churches like Keith Gomez's church and he preaches at the Revival Fires Conference. And these men, many of them who don't even agree with some of that junk, because they have compromised to, and used guys like him, it has given him an opportunity and a platform to share some of that, I mean, damnable heresy and some of these guys are picking up on it. And then they wonder why this next generation, is their, their churches are just dead, good for nothing, being destroyed. And then why they're getting burnt out on the old paths. And then they're going trendy. Well, the thing is, there wasn't anything wrong with the old paths except for the fact that in your old path style and methodology, you allowed heretics to come in and bring in damnable heresy. And that's what ruined things. It was the heresy. If, the, if you had kept your doctrine right, if you had kept your doctrine sound, they would have listened to you. They would have stuck to those old ways. But they didn't. And we've got to, And I, I fully intend to continue standing up against this stuff and finding these things and making a lot of noise and taking people off about it. I, I fully intend to do that because I think, I think it's a worthy cause. I think it's a worthy fight. And we've proved over and over again throughout the book of Hebrews, that dispensationalism is garbage and that Hebrews is not a dangerous book. It does not teach anywhere in there that a person at any time, at any place, could lose their salvation. The people who like to use the term rightly divide all the time clearly just don't know how to rightly divide because their method of rightly dividing comes from, you know, Doug Stauffer or some dis dispensationalist and they're always trying to find a way to lift up the Jews. And it's messing up all their theology. And that's why we have churches too, like Paul Chapels, who just doesn't teach theology. Everything's all just about, you know, community, connections, discipleship. And there's just no doctrine. You, you just don't hear doctrine from his preaching. And then the guys coming out of his church, they don't have a lot of doctrine. They, they just, they don't teach it. That, that's, all, that's all it is. And so, it is important that we teach all of the Bible. And if you see a book, and you're like, that's a dangerous book. Mark it down. You're seeing something wrong. You better figure out what you're seeing. There's nothing in the Bible that's dangerous. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. And we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, even the book of Amos. And that's what's coming, that's what's coming next week. We're going to make Amos famous. All right? And so, anyway, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord... We thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. Dear God, I pray you'll help us to just uh, let this keep us motivated, Lord, and just to uh, uh, stay in your book. Dear God, I pray that we will, that in my lifetime, and, and I hope it's soon, dear God, that we will see dispensationalism just become uh, a sad memory of, of the Baptist church. I pray that people will wake up to this wicked heresy and that it will go away and it will be, it become something that we'll be able to uh, maybe look back and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to laugh at ourselves uh, forever uh, having anything to do with it. But I, I pray people will uh, wake up to this and it will cause them to start, uh, it'll make them where they can preach all of the Bible and they won't have to avoid books to protect their uh, pet doctrines, but they'll just submit to what your word teaches. And I pray you'll help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's